this is possibly my favorite part of having slides back is you guys know what I think about us and who we are as Grace and Mercy. Uh, you can see there on the screen just a bunch of sheep about to fall off a cliff. And it wasn't for Grace and Mercy, not the church, but Jesus' grace and mercy to us. Uh, what would become of us, right? And so we are in Matthew chapter 7 today, and we're in verse 1 and 6, 1 through 6. And so I'm just going to pray and we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do his work. And so I'd invite you today to. Um, one of the things I was thinking about preaching, somebody asked me uh, something about preaching. Should we listen to you? I don't know. Like, I'll just leave that up to you and leave that up to the Holy Spirit. He may use me. He may not. I don't know. But most of the time, like the times that I remember in church weren't so much the sermons. It was the text. It was the text of Scripture that is God-breathed and profitable for our lives. And so many times when I was in church, we read the text and I journaled the whole time that the pastor was preaching and just let God deal with my heart that way. And so I'd invite you to that or listen to the sermon, whatever God has for you. But uh, let's just let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much for your scripture. We thank you that it is breathed out by you. Lord, we thank you that it's available to us for life and life that we want and desire to live in you. So Lord, as we look at Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 6, Holy Spirit, be with us. Show us what it is you have for us here in Jesus. And, and Lord, please give us the eyes the ears to see and to hear, and the heart to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. This is a very beautiful scripture, one that I, I love for everybody in this room, to be honest. So for those of us, those of us here, all of us, we can perceive well. And sometimes I think uh, in that perception that um, maybe judgment isn't that bad. It served me well. It's kept me on the right path. Like if we want to be sincere followers of Jesus, then isn't it good to discern right from wrong? Amen. Like it, it really is. Isn't it good to determine things that I like versus things that I don't like and to whatever degree? Or it's right for us to look at and, and actually like judge the things that are acceptable for me and my family. And then uh, there are things that other families do that aren't acceptable for me and my family. It's the way that it is. And I like to think uh, of uh, much of what we call judgment or what could be judgment is in the pure form is discernment, is good discernment, right? And while this may be true, we also have to be aware that discernment, even with wisdom, when we exercise it in wisdom and wise choices, we can make this often treacherous leap where we have to be careful into self-righteousness and then it's self-righteous judgment. And then there's, uh, with the the 
part of self-righteous judgment that is striking is that there's a particular blindness to it. That when you're judging self-righteously, it's very hard to see, isn't it? We don't know because we don't see it, so uh, just kidding. But it's very hard. So as followers of Jesus, we don't want to be play actors. The word hypocrite is play actor. Like it's just an actor. We don't want to be actors and actresses. We want to be sincere followers of Jesus. We want to discern right from wrong. When it, and, and, and this comes in all forms. We, of course, want our lives to, to live as Jesus would have us live. Amen? I want that for me. I want that for you guys. We want to think like Jesus would have us think. And so when um, I, 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 that is having our mind transformed by him, we want to believe how and what Jesus would have us believe. So like we want, like, uh, we want right living, but we also want right and good theology, right? And all of this takes discernment, which the, if you look up the, the word discernment, the root meaning means to judge between right and wrong. That's what it means. And so when we talk about judgment, it's like judge not, discern not. No, 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 we, we'll, we'll get there, but we need to discern. But what we can't do is walk into this uh, blindly when we do take discernment. And so um, and, and we need to be wise in the way that we do it so that we can live out what we've discerned to be the right path for us. And uh, we can raise our hands. We can say how many of us want to see clearly. Amen. Like, that's like, see with our hearts, see what Jesus has for us. And I, I, I know that I want that. And so I, I want to see what Jesus has for me, at least the next step. I, I would love more steps than that, but oftentimes it's the next step that he illuminates. And then I would love, because when we know that this is what Jesus has for us, we can take that step with sincerity, with conviction, with um, like Jen and I were talking last night, like not getting out ahead of God, but following in step with what he has for us. And, uh, and so when we do that, knowing that we are in step, I know that then he will lead me to take the next step. And not only that, but as we look around and we're looking for the next step, he also shows us steps not to take. And we do this through seeing with our eyes and, and taking things in. And the Holy Spirit will use sometimes people or situations to say, no, not that way. I've got this other way for you. And we get to discern that and see, and see that rightly. And, um, when, and I'll say this. When I look at the church in general, and particularly the American church because I live in the United States, and the Canadian church as well because I have a lot of Canadian friends, but when I look at the church in general, you know what I see? I see judgment. And some of it's disguised as discernment at times. And some of it's just what I would deem judgment for things that I think go over and above what scripture would have. And the truth is it makes me sad. It makes me sad. Uh, Sometimes it makes me mad. um, And and sometimes it frustrates me. It's like, how did we ever get here when Jesus gave us this text? I get bummed out when I hear stories of folks that are judged unfairly for things that shouldn't matter to us. Like I I heard a story last night of somebody that was, they they were being judged for a, a, play that their high school was putting on and they're like oh well us christians can't take part but then the christians actually read the play right and then so they judged harshly kind of put this whole petition on facebook and then they came back around and said no you know what our kids are going to be able to participate after all because we read the script and it's like you jumped way out ahead judging saying we can't do this and i hear that 
and I'm talking to this woman who isn't necessarily a follower of Jesus, it makes, makes me sad. Like it's judgment placed in the wrong area, kind of with maybe I, I would feel like a lack of discernment. That's just what I'm judging. So it's just like a lack of discernment and not very careful thought on which way they should go. And since we want to see clearly, when we hear pronouncements over entire people groups, or we hear pronouncements over entire political persuasions, whether that be on the, you know, Democrat, Republican, or even just in the minutia of that, and we hear these pronouncements about stuff, and then we get to this verse, judge not that you not be judged. I always go, okay, how does this work? How does this work, Lord? Because we... Um, uh, when I when I read these verses, I, I do wonder how we ever got uh, the reputation as a bunch of stuffy, judgmental people. Some of it rightly earned, some of it not so much. And I, I feel like it's clear in the words of Jesus that uh, this is not who we're supposed to be. He, he goes on to show us this through different parables throughout. Or so when certain sins, when certain sins are pointed out as the worst sins of our culture or the sin of our times, Right, And I'm talking about the sins that pastors and church leaders are asked about all the time. And so they consider and they're, they're turning over in their head and then they study it for a few weeks. And then they hold maybe a special midnight or, or a special midweek or maybe a Saturday seminar or bring in some expert, somebody who just wrote a book and maybe has thought about it a little bit deeply. And then they proclaim the beliefs that all Christians should have on such and such a topic. I find that to be... If, that is, if they're actually Christians. I find that to be very interesting. That very interesting. That sometimes, us as Christians, we start with, a, hey, we disagree with you. Instead of, hey, let me invite you into this grace that changed my life and changed my heart. And this has happened with a number of issues over my time in the church. And quite honestly, even from when I was a little kid. And I'll, I'll tell old earth, new earth was a big thing in the church that we grew up with. And you know what? I don't know. Like, I'll just be honest. I don't know what it is. I have my opinions. I don't think that they matter much. But it makes me sad when we have to go and argue it all the time. And like, we're right. Like, we were there when God created the earth. No, God created it. I'm going to leave it there. And we can, there's a vast number of orthodox beliefs within that. And so Christians have received, sometimes justly, and when I say Christians, I'm talking about followers of Christ, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we want to say they're cousins or distant cousins, right? But brothers and sisters in Christ who some unjustly and some justly have gotten the reputation for being hypocrites. As Christians, they pick and choose what they determine to be right and what is wrong, and then they give voice to it, but oftentimes failing to have a clear view of their own life. How many pastors do we know that have stood up and proclaimed, this is wrong, and then they fall to it? It's interesting, isn't it? And I've heard someone say, uh, people in glass houses should not throw stones. We are people in need. We are in people in need of grace. As followers of Jesus, we have a starting point. We have a starting point. We can, this starting point can be said in so many different ways at the foot of the cross recognizing that we need to be forgiven for sins, right? The starting point is, Jesus, I don't know the way, and I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That's our starting point. And quite honestly, we never get off that starting point. Or let me, we can say this way. Here's a starting point for Christians. I cannot do this on my own. I'm not good enough. I can't save myself. All my good deeds are like rubbish before you 
and I need you to guide me. Another one, I have sinned and fallen short. That's the starting point of Christianity. And you know what? We never leave that point either. So all of sin, all of it. One of my favorite sermons growing up, probably because it was the only one I remember, uh, not the only one, but our pastor had a whole bunch of balloons lined up and he wrote on their different sins. And he went by and said, this is what happens when we sin. And he went and popped each one. And then he had his favorite sin and he put the piece of tape over it. You know what I'm talking about? And he put the pin through where the tape was. And he's like, huh, this one doesn't pop, you know, because he was trying to make a joke about. And that's why I remember it, to be honest, because it was his sin, that his pet favorite sin that he had. So it was pretty funny. But there are no majors and minors when it comes to sin. There's no majors and minors. All sin separates us from God. Likewise, all who sin, any sin, big or small in our world's eyes, stand in need of grace that Jesus gives us through his crucified body, his blood shed for us, and his resurrection so that we might be able to live a new life. If we want to start picking and choosing which sins we think are worse than others, I believe through this text it's showing us that this is a problem. This is a problem. All sin separates us from God, and yet Jesus comes in and covers our sin with his grace and his mercy, allowing us to approach the throne of grace in an unashamed fashion. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a very beautiful thing. I believe that we can be discerning and yet not fall into the sin of judgment that Jesus has harsh words for. This particular sin is not unique to Christians, but it is a particular temptation for those who believe wholeheartedly. Like, I believe wholeheartedly that I've found the way, the truth, and the life, and the person and work of Jesus. And I hope that all of us have found that, and we believe that so firmly. And if we look at Scripture, we will see Jesus, though, railing against those over and over who don't pay attention to their own eyes lives, but rather look to the wrong in everybody else. Or they highlight the right in their life at the exclusion of, hey, I got some stuff I got to work on here as well. We all have wrongs, period. With a little practice, it's not that hard to see, right? We can see faults and flaws in anyone given enough time, in anyone given enough time and experience. I don't believe it's wrong to necessarily see the faults and flaws, And certainly I don't think it's wrong to see them and avoid them, right? One of the reasons I avoided drugs in high school was because I had some friends who did it. I saw what it did to their lives and I was able to avoid it because I watched it. And I'm so grateful for that because I probably would have loved drugs. But to deny having some of those flaws and those faults, I believe is dangerous. Some of the ones that we can see so clearly. We are to be careful to guard ourselves and and on who, not only who, but who and how we judge. We can determine if a thing is bad, even if it's bad for us or bad in general, and yet we need to be careful how we apply that judgment to the life of someone else. That's what Jesus is asking us uh, of us. When we don't look ourselves and we have an unfair, or maybe it's fair, judgmental attitude towards others, this is a problem. We get to apply more scrutiny to ourselves than we do to others. And there's going to be a temptation, however, when we apply this scrutiny to ourselves and actually look and take an honest review of everything that we have that we might fall into depression. 
or we might not feel as good as we ought to be. Or for me, like one of my things when I do this at a deep level without Jesus is um, I just feel like a failure in every area of my life. Right. And it gets real. My hope starts to dwindle and I'm a pretty high hope guy. So it's like it starts to dwindle because you know what? When we start looking, we all have a number of faults and flaws. We all have a number of sin patterns that honestly, they're really gross. They're really disgusting. This is where I am praying the grace of God comes in over and over against condemnation and shame that we are tempted to feel because he doesn't, he took that away from us. I believe it's good to look at our own sin. I think it is good that we see how good we are not. Right? We all have inconsistencies in our lives. We all proclaim things with our mouth and then forget to live them. Or when the screws are really tight, we just miss out. And while it is good to work on them and shore them up, it's also good to know that for whatever inconsistencies we see, there are probably more. There are probably more, likely ones that you don't see. And if we're, there is a blindness to our own sin. And when we are living in a, and when we're blind to our own sin, we're living in a world of make-believe, right? And what are the players in worlds of make-believe called? Actors, actresses, hypocrites. However, when we see our own sin, as I pray that we might do, I pray more than that, that we might be able to see God's grace wash over us as well. I like this picture of my sin, okay? Not your sin, but mine. I like it as a giant mountain. I actually think of like Lake 22, if you've ever hiked that, or um, I forget the Heather Lake at the bottom of Mount Pilchuck. These are the ones that think in. I like thinking of being at that lake and my sin is that giant mountain. Like, like one of the tallest peaks around that I can see so big that I don't, or I can't even see all the little valleys and crevices that occupy it. And I don't know everything about my sin and how great it is. And then when I really see my sin this way, first of all, it brings a level of humility. Just going like, look, I got so much that I got, I got going on. And I don't think that it, it, when I do this, I don't think that I'm better or worse than anybody or, or anything that they do or they don't do. But, but when I picture my sin as a giant mountain, this is why I like it so much, because I like to picture God's grace as well in the midst of that. The work of Jesus in our lives and through the ever-creating power of the Holy Spirit is like a huge tsunami-type wave that comes and washes over the mountain. It washes over the mountain. And when it washes over the mountain, water is a powerful force. It comes and it changes the landscape of the mountains. It moves some things around. It takes down some places and builds up others. Think of... um, like Mount Rainier before and after, or Mount St. Helens before and after the explosion, that it takes down some places and builds up others. Sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's refreshing. But even as huge a mountain as our sin is, it's swallowed up by the giganticness of the wave of God's grace. And it floods over us. And so as we can clearly, uh, as we start to clearly see our own sin, as we take the log out of our own eye and know that we've been forgiven for so much repeatedly, the hope and prayer is that as we've been given so much of this grace, 
that we might also be able to give it away freely. Right? Like we're filled up to overflowing, knowing that grace can cover a mountain of our own sin over and over, and it can do the same for the person that annoys us right now. Grace can and will change us. But let it not change us into those who condemn. Like, oh, look at me, I'm forgiven. What about you? That kind of thing. But those who are in, but those instead who invite others into this beautiful, life-changing event of forgiveness that happens to us over and over as we live this life with Jesus. I don't know if we can ever not see the sin of others. Amen? We can say amen to that. Just open your eyes and see. I can see a little bit of it going on right now. So I can see a little bit of it going on right now. I don't know if we can ever not see the sin of others. But, um, and I know that you guys can see some sins of mine. But I can also see sins of you that you might not be able to see, like you can do with me. And I pray instead of in falling into self-righteous judgment like the Pharisees and like many examples of judgmental Christians of today, that we might offer and live our, the life of grace that Jesus extends to us and to all peoples, all tribes, all nations, all tongues, right? That's who we get to see in the kingdom of God. And I love this picture of what eternity is going to look like in scriptures because not everybody in the kingdom of God will look like us. This reminds us once again to have a little bit of humility when we go to judge. And that's actually what adds to the beauty. Different sights, sounds, visual, different noises, different ways of praising, different different beliefs. As long as we believe that Jesus is Father, Son, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. We are not the determiners of who is a Christian and who is not. It's above our pay grade. Right? It's above our pray good. We get to, st- Mo likes to say this to the kids a lot, and I agree with her. We get to stay in our own lane. We get to stay in our own lane. We get to make sure that we are following Jesus to the best of our abilities and living a life as loving to others as a possibility of what grace may do to change us. We don't have to agree with everybody to learn from them, right? We don't have to just go with whatever they want us to go with, but we are also um, not as discerning as we want to be at times. Later on in Matthew chapter 13, I was thinking about this. I don't know if we're going to get there this year, but we'll give it a go, right? We'll try and get to Matthew chapter 13 by the end of this year. We see a story that Jesus tells us about the kingdom of God. He tells us a story about the kingdom of God. He tells us, he lets us know that in the midst of this, There is going to be, as we are sincerely seeking after Jesus, there's going to be weeds that grow up right alongside us. And and there will be those among us that that have really bad fruit. But as we focus on Jesus, we don't have to fall victims to the ways and teachings of everybody who comes around us, right? Jesus says that the weeds and the wheat will grow up together. And then he says this in Matthew 13, 26 through 30. So when the plants come up and bore grain, the the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in the field? How does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. So the servants said, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. 
Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And that's what God's going to do. That's his job. And so until the time is right, the weeds and the wheat will grow up together. And there are times that when we might attack the weeds because we feel like it's our duty and responsibility because we see it, we accidentally pull up some of the roots of somebody who's trying to get rooted in Christ because of our condemnation on someone else. And that's not what we want. We want them to be rooted in Jesus. We want that person who's trying to figure out their life in Jesus. We want them to have deep roots so that so we don't want to be people pointing out all the flaws that we see in others. It's not helpful. All the political infighting with churches is not helpful all the time. We get to do our best. Even if we disagree with certain people, we get to do our best to just let them be and let our lives, um, let our lives do the talking. We don't have to go after others all the time, right? Even in, in saying this, and this is, I'm saying this in repentance, to be honest, but even in saying this, there is a time and a place to point out flaws, right? However, there is really no pointing, uh, no point in pointing out flaws of somebody else who doesn't want to hear it. There's no point in it. In doing so, we are offering something that we did be determined as so valuable for living this life. That is the grace that Jesus has given us, right? These pearls that he has given us and, or this wisdom that he has given us. But then when we're giving it to somebody that, who doesn't want it, we're giving them wisdom to a fool. We're, we're giving them, uh, it's actually becoming a stumbling block for them. So, how many of us have ever offered unsolicited advice? Amen. <laughs> Judge not, lest you be judged. So, I have done it. And even if it proves to be helpful in the end, um, how many of us have received it? Right? Even if it proves to be uh, helpful in the end, do we enjoy it? I remember, man, everybody and their brother had advice for us when we were in the hospital with Hadassah. Everybody and their brother, and it was so annoying. And it was like, oh, you know, she's just going to grow up and be just fine. I'm like, yeah, but we don't know if her lung's going to collapse later today because we've seen it happen. Like, it's not, it wasn't helpful for us. It proved to be true. But you know what? We didn't seek it out, even though it was offered. And so it's, it's kind of annoying. And so when that happens, that's kind of like throwing our pearls before pigs and dogs. It's not, it's not helpful. In fact, I read an article this week. They, they don't... Animals don't understand the value in what's been given them, right? Like, that's the point here. I read an article uh, this week that one homeowner pulled out $5,000 cash. They took it home. Do you know this story? Okay, so they they pulled it out, and they brought it home, and they were going to do something with it. I I didn't figure that out. But they placed it somewhere where the dog can get it, and the dog ate the cash. All of it. $5,000 not out the window, but at least they didn't have to buy dog food for a day or whatever. It's pretty expensive dog food. It, the dog had no idea what it was doing, right? It just like, and so it, it, and it, it's like, that's what it's like to give wisdom and discernment to those who don't want it. It's like that dog eating the cash. That's what Jesus is saying here. I will say two things and then I will, I will be done today. For us, instead of getting or give it, or, or instead of getting unsolicited advice, you know what we should do as followers of Jesus? We should humbly seek it out from people who are going to be able to listen to. It's not everybody. And some, for some of us, it may be more people than others. 
Some people, it's going to be select people for different things. But we should listen and we should seek out to those who love us, those who are wise, those who want good for us. We can ask them about our blind spots and have them point them out. And it's not going to be hurtful. Well, it may be hurtful, but it, we know it's done in love. We can ask them to speak about things that we might not be able to see and let the love that they have for us offer us some course correction. That's what we get to do. It's going to help clear up our eyes so we can see this. And if they love us and then they can see our good, correct the bad, and even though it may still hurt, we can trust the motives of the one correcting us. It's not unsolicited. We get to go around and asking for it. Then when, when it is invited, it becomes welcome and it becomes helpful and it, it is a beautiful correction. And then last, if we are not invited to correct someone's sin, let's wait until we are. Let's wait until we are. Sometimes we are invited because the person will say, hey, will you speak into this? I don't find that that often, but every now and again. But other times we are invited in because of our position. I think of this. As parents, as parents, kids, listen. As parents, God has invited us as parents to correct, help steer your lives. Whether you feel it's unsolicited or not, this is something that we are, this, we are tasked to do. We get to come in and help steer the lives that God has for you so that you can learn right from wrong and that you can live the life that Jesus will have for you because for some reason, some great mystery of God, he has entrusted us parents with you children. And this is our job. And so, and, and, and yet, if, and maybe we are bosses at our work. You know what? We're invited by position to correct and lead those in our charge. Amen? I was actually thinking of this, if we are ants, sometimes we are invited in to speak this. And even when it seems uninvited, no, you're invited positionally in that situation. So, but when we do correct, especially if it's a positional thing, we get to do so and not being necessarily invited, but we're doing it out of our position. We get to do it with humility, as much love as we can muster. And when we do fall short, because God knows we will, then we repent and we confess our sins to one another that God might forgive us. And other than positionally, we can wait to be invited in. Once we are invited in, we know that any correction that is offered may be done in love. Amen? It can be done in love. Even if we've seen it for a long time, it comes at that one point that we can do it in love and it'll be received in a way, and honestly, the way that we intend it to, the way that our hearts are pointed towards. If we are not invited, you know what we get to do? We wait. We pray. We ask the Holy Spirit to go after them, maybe. Depends on what it is. And then we love them to the best of our ability, accepting them for their flaws as Christ accepts us with our flaws. I pray this for us at Grace and Mercy, that we will be known as people who love well, not as people who judge well. This means... This is what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. There is a warning here in these verses, and we'd be wise to heed it. Don't judge beyond what you're willing to be judged for. It's kind of scary. Sometimes, well, I don't want to be judged for my blind spots. Well, maybe the sin that you see in someone else is their blind spot. Don't judge beyond what you are, being will, you, what you are willing to be judged for. 
Too many times we judge something that we can see and we see it because it's so prevalent in our own lives. Not necessarily that we can see it. I love the idea of pride. I know when somebody's being prideful. You know why? Because it butts up right against my pride and it grates me wrong. And it's a reminder. It's a reminder. So we get to walk in humility. We get to walk in love. We get to walk in the grace that Jesus provided us from his broken body and his shed blood for us that fills us up with the forgiveness of sins and allows us to walk with him. I pray that we might be filled up with this level of grace so that when we come against something that we see that we don't like, that we're tempted to judge, we can let it go or just trust God that he's doing something in and amongst that, that person or, or people. And then when we are invited in, that we can speak the truth in love rather than in harsh judgment. So Jesus, we lay this before you. I love this scripture. I love that you teach us this. Lord, we fall short of this all the time. I pray that you will come in, that you will correct us. Lord, that you will speak to our heads and our hearts and allow us not to judge in a way that brings self-condemnation on us, but that we might be able to take our discernment and use it wisely for you and your purposes and the good of the people who we want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.